what's up guys it's michael from the honest youth pastor back with another sermon review today we are going to look at a sermon by christine kane this was uh recommended by um by one of you guys by a follower so today it's going to be called um shake it off this was uh uploaded on april 13th of 2021 this was actually filmed at Transformation Church. Now, just in case anybody's like, why are you picking on Mike Todd? I'm not. This was the last place that Christine Kane uh, preached, right? So uh, all the way up, as you can see on your screen, we're actually at minute marker uh, uh, 12 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, the actual sermon starts here in just a minute. Everything up to this point has been an introduction, a little bit of a testimony about herself, uh, a little bit about the ministry that she leads called A1, um, and, uh, the work that she does with that. Basically just a quick note. It's actually a pretty interesting thing. Um, they help, uh, children that are trapped and been kidnapped into the sex trade industry. They help them escape. That's the whole ministry. So, um, she talks about it a little bit in the sermon here. So you kind of get a glimpse of it, but that's what she's talked about all the way up till about minute marker 13. So that's why we're starting right here in this sermon. If you want to watch the whole thing without my commentary, like always link will be in the description below. And with that, before we start, one last caveat, in case this is your first sermon review, you've just found this YouTube channel uh, from the Instagram, maybe somebody passed this along to you, let me tell you why we do this, right? We're not just doing this to be like, hey, let's look how good or bad Christine Kane is at preaching. What we want to do with these sermon reviews, and if you watch any of the other ones, the same thing's true of them, we want to look at this sermon and say, hey, what are the good things? What are the bad things? What are the red flags? What are the concerning things? What are the really good things? And say, hey, how can we discern what is a good sermon and what is not a good sermon based on a couple things? Is the gospel preached? Is exegetical work done as, as far as is the text looked at? We look at, uh, we look at the word usage. We look at what's being said. We look at application, all of those things. Uh, and we say, hey, that's how we're going to determine it. Was the gospel preached? Uh, and if it was, and we're, we're not talking about like the flyover quick gospel, we're talking about um, Jesus's life, death, burial, resurrection, what that looks like, what that means for a person's life. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be this big thing, but especially if it's mentioned in the text, we, we, we would hope that it would be brought up. So those, that's how we're going to get engaged this. So uh, all that being said, uh, we're going to start this thing. If you want to watch it again without my commentary, links in the description below. Also, the audio podcast link for this will be in the description below as well. In case you don't want to watch it, you just want to listen to it. All that's cool. Thank you guys for hanging out with me for this next hour and something. Let's get into it. The plan or the purpose of God for your life. If God said it, God will do it. It will come to pass. On that note, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 27. We're going to read a lot of Bible because this is a Bible-believing church. I love that about this house. You are a very well-taught house. Can I just say, in preparation, I watched every one of the videos of Crazy Faith. If you haven't watched them, you need to watch them and get saved because they are just unbelievable. All of Forgiveness University, I thought you just need to put those uh, that on YouTube on repeat every day of your life and you will stay a Christian because it will just fill you full of faith. But you are a very, very well-taught house. You ought to thank God for your pastors, Mike and Natalie, because I'm telling you, they are bringing you the Word of God. And there's just so, just to watch this house mature is beautiful to this mother in the face. But we're going to go to the book of Acts and hopefully I'm going to give a little bit of clarity and maybe some language to what some of you have been feeling this past year. 
and the pivotal moment we are at because I reckon there's been, I, I, I believe there's been a, a divine shift. The spiritual tectonic pla plates of the planet have... Okay, so there's a couple of things. Last week when we watched Perry Noble's sermon, uh, I talked about how he talked about seasons, and that's kind of a buzzword depending on what denomination you're part of or church you're part of. Uh, shift is kind of a buzzword too. Again, it just kind of depends on what, maybe you hear it a lot, maybe you don't. It all really depends on kind of what stream uh, your denomination is in, if it's used a lot, um, maybe even what kind of podcasts or sermons or books your pastor reads, that's going to influence a lot as well. Um, that's the first thing. So a little bit of language used to clarify there. It's not a huge thing, but it kind of, when you listen to a lot of sermons, I don't know if you do or if you don't, I listen to a ton. And when you do, you start kind of picking up these little things. And that word usage in general is kind of off to the side on a certain set of pastors um, that usually fit within the charismatic kind of framework, which Christine Kane would. So um, also the second thing that I've noticed that's different. And again, this isn't really a sermon kind of critique part of it, but it is interesting to see, especially when pastors uh, guest speak at other churches. Uh, there's like this whole thing, depending on uh, depending on what kind of denomination they're a part of, or what kind of kind of network of churches someone's a part of. They'll get up and they're just gonna like put heap praise upon praise upon praise of, about the home pastor there. Uh, and then there's other churches where you'll see guest pastors. They don't do that. They just kind of get up and they open their Bible and they preach. Now. Neither here nor there. You can make the call on kind of what, what that is. I just find that interesting. Um, uh, okay, anyway, you know, there's my two cents. Let's go. Have shifted. And some of us, if we haven't realized the shifts happen, you can get caught in what was like a, a, an earthquake and fall into the crevices. And we don't want that because I think this moment is actually the most exciting moment on the planet for the church of Jesus Christ. This is a moment for us to arise and step into what it is that God has for us. So, in so here's another thing. And this is, again, this is, this is a sermon critique. What I always find interesting and kind of what is a flag that goes up in my head whenever I hear pastors say certain words, it's this idea that, and this usually happens, I don't know if your denomination does it, sometimes uh, my denomination will have like revivals, right, like planned revivals for a week. And you'll have people come and like they'll have that language that she just used, like this is a, defined, uh, a divine moment where we're just really, this is like a pivotal place in ministry and in the church history. And then you're like, yeah, but wasn't last year that? Wasn't the year before that you said that? Wasn't that the year? Like... There's certain pastors, and again, I think they're innocent enough when they're saying it. At least I hope they're being innocent enough and not manipulative. But the idea, like, every time they preach, like, this right now is a pivotal point. Five years from now, this right now is a Like, it's always a pivotal point. It can't just be you live peaceful, quiet lives in the midst of the world going forth with the gospel. It's got to be like this big, ah, yeah, this is our time kind of moment. Like, they just, that's always, they're always on 10 all the time. Acts 27, the Bible says, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy. Now, listen. Now, listen, real quick, before we get into it, I'm not going to pause this a lot. I'm going to try to let her go a good chunk of the way through this before I stop it again. But what I want you to pay careful attention to, um, and this is something that we wouldn't be able to do if we just walked into a church and sat down because we've been hearing this for the first time. This is actually the third time I'm watching this. Um, but listen to how she deals with the text and think about it from an exegetical 
and an eisegetical standpoint. Exegetical meaning that we're going to look at the text, the context, we're going to draw out what the text says, and we're going to teach that, and then we're going to apply that, versus eisegetical, where we're going to read the text, and then we're going to directly just put ourselves right on top of that text. We're going to read ourselves into that. It doesn't matter how hard it is to read ourselves into the text, we're going to do it. We're going to get some pliers, we're going to put ourselves in there, right? So it's exegetical versus eisegetical. And no matter who you listen to, these two elements are always at play. They're going to do one or the other, right? So let's, with that in mind, let's, let's listen to this. We have, uh, you know, 18 different offices um, around the world in 18 different countries. And so normally when people say to me, Christine, where do you live? I, I go, you know, on an airplane. And I just do laps of the globe. We've done that. We've taken our daughters around the world with us uh, to over 50 countries doing ministry and preaching and teaching and our work with A21, it's just what we do. So for me, this last year has been a little bit challenging because I haven't been able to go overseas. So when I read in the Bible, and now we were ready to sail for Italy, I have got this picture of Italy. I'm thinking the Amalfi Coast. I'm thinking Positano. I'm thinking Ravello. I'm thinking, you know, just uh, beautiful, beautiful Tuscany. I'm thinking the Mediterranean Sea. I'm already imagining a yacht and sailing around the Mediterranean. This is going to be awesome. But I don't want you to have that picture because that's not what's happening here, okay? So Italy. So they delivered Paul and some other prisoners. <laughs> so we know that this is not going to be a Mediterranean cruise ship. This is, is going to be a ship that's carrying prisoners uh, to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Let me just give you a little bit of context. What happened was the Apostle Paul had received an offering from the churches that were surrounding this area to bring an offering to the church in Jerusalem, which was undergoing great, great trials, great, great heartache. They, they were... They had great lack at the time. So he received an offering and everyone said to him, Paul, don't take this offering yourself to Jerusalem because if you do, they're going to kill you. But Paul wanted to take the offering himself. He loved Jerusalem. Obviously, that's where Jesus was crucified. And because he had so persecuted the church of Jerusalem, he wanted himself to take this offering to them. And exactly what they said would happen to him, happened to him. He became, they tried to kill him. And the only way he didn't die was that the Romans and soldiers went and took him and they made him a prisoner. Now for two years, he was a prisoner waiting for one thing. He was going to go to Rome. Now he knew that was part of his purpose. The Lord had told him this was part of his destiny. He had so eagerly decided and eagerly desired to want to go to Rome because he knew if I can proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in Rome, from Rome, it will go into the then known world and the gospel will spread. So he wanted to go to Rome. It was his purpose to go to Rome. It was his plan to go to Rome. It was the will of God that he was going to go to Rome. And he just didn't imagine that he was going to go to Rome by being a prisoner. See, sometimes you can be in the purpose of God. You can be in the will of God. You can be in the plan of God. But how God's going to take you where he's going to take you might not be how you think he's going to get you there. And okay, so here's a couple of things that I think are very important. And this is coming back to context and reading the word. And here again, this is something that you wouldn't, if you're sitting in church service right there, you're kind of taking her word for what she's saying, right? Now she sums up a lot of chapters together, like really quick. I mean, she's going chapter 20, uh, all the way back. Let me see here. She's going all the way from chapter 20, 
23, 24 into 25 and 26, summing a lot of that up. In fact, in 25, what we see is Paul actually appealing to Caesar. Um, he's doing so through Festus, which is going to send him to Rome. So she's going to mention that Paul's pursuing his destiny and his purpose. But what he's doing is he's he's appealing to Caesar based on the fact that he's a Roman citizen. Now, again, we do have significant evidence. That, I mean, we do see that, uh, I forget exactly what verse it is, where, where God tells him that he's going to go to Rome. It's going to be uh, chapter 23. Yeah, chapter 23, verse 11. Uh, it says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified the facts to, of me about about me in Jerusalem, you must testify also in Rome. So, yeah, there's this real sense of uh, he's supposed to go to Rome and talk about, and, and preach the gospel at Rome. But he's getting there by way of the fact that uh, he's appealing to Caesar and that's how he's going there. Um, so, I mean, again, it's not that these are incredibly. It's not that she's not giving accurate information in the sense that, yeah, he's going to Rome. Yes, he is a prisoner. Um, and yes, God did tell him that's what he needs to do. But I, again, this is just, this is just me talking here when I'm listening to a sermon, when you're talking about Paul pursuing his destiny and his purpose and making it sound like this big, huge thing. Um, God told him to go to Rome, just like God told him to go to Jerusalem. So that's what he's doing. He's being obedient. I think oftentimes what we'll have is pastors like be like very passionate. She's going to be incredibly passionate. There's nothing wrong with emotion. As long as you're actually saying something. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, but this idea that like he's pursuing his passion and his destiny. Um, Paul is being obedient to the Lord. Uh, and it's not flashy. And it's never been flashy, um, but that's what he's doing. He, he's just being obedient. So it's one of those things where it's it's really hard to sum up like three to four chapters that quickly um, and not miss some stuff. So it just um, I, I just note that if somebody starts somewhere again with every sermon review you've done, it, no matter if you trust the pastor or not, I would take notes and then like just go home and look over that. Because there's some details there. Again, it doesn't mention... Here, here's the real concern for me personally. It doesn't mention destiny at all in the text. It doesn't mention purpose at all in the text. It, it's chronicling historically what Paul did, why he did it, and the methods in which that happened, right? <clears throat> so that's how he's going to Rome uh, because he's appealing to Caesar um, for, for the fact because he's a Roman, so he can. So uh, let's keep going. And oftentimes you think God has changed his mind because your circumstances have changed. Paul knew he was going to go to Rome, but he was going to get there by being a prisoner. So now we're on there and he goes through. And it says, and embarking on a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now our A21 headquarters are in Thessaloniki, and I know everybody wants to be Greek. Everybody watching this, I know you want to be Greek. And so it makes me excited when we're talking about Italy, but you've got to have Greeks on the road. So just throwing that in for nothing to all my Greek friends that are watching this right now. And the Bible 
goes on and says, the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Favor is quite amazing. Favor means that you can be a prisoner and that the, the person that is in charge of you as a prisoner trusts you so much that he gives you leave to go and stay with your friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. I, I want you to get this. Paul is on track with destiny. Paul is going to his purpose. He's getting there as a prisoner and right at the outset, right from the beginning, what does the scripture tell us? It says the winds were against us. Sounds like March 2020, doesn't it? It's like, man, we had our plans. We all had our purpose. This was what's going to happen with my business. This is what's going to happen in that relationship. This is what's going to happen with that course of study. Oh, oh, we, we had started, man. We had heard from God. This was the will of God. This was the purpose of God. And we started and, whoa, feels like the winds are against us. Okay, so a couple of things here. Um... I left that play for a minute because I wanted you to kind of hear her first thought as she thought this out, right? So we have to understand, and this is, this is let me break this down real quick because this is going to apply to the rest of the sermon review as we watch her. Um, there's exegetical work and there's eisegetical work. Exegetical work is looking at the type of literature you're looking at. So whether it be uh, wisdom literature, uh, psalms and poetry, uh, narrative, uh, prophecy, uh, so there, there's a whole bunch of, I mean, there's some figurative even in there as far as wisdom literature goes. So you have to account for that. First of all, you have to then account for context and what's happening, why it's happening. And then you look at the circumstances and say, why, what are we looking at and how does it, what, what does it show us about uh, who God is and how he deals with these people and then apply it right now, what we're doing automatically from the set, we're not even we're completely ignoring the fact that Luke is writing a detailed historical account, right? Um, and that, that's important to note because if you don't note that, then you're going to deal with it incorrectly. If you don't know that that's what he's doing, you're going to handle it wrong. So if we go all the way back to Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had been after he had given commands throughout the whole through the Holy Spirit to the apostles who had who he had chosen. He presented the, himself alive to them after he after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he's doing this first book. That's the whole point of uh, he's talking about the gospel of Luke. Now we're going in here uh, into Acts with this continuation of this account. Um, so th this is what we're looking at. So where does it exactly say that here? I'm sorry. I know it has it here. Oh, he just goes right into the account in chapter one. Um, the idea that th this is an account, right? This is this is what we're looking at. This is a historical account. So as we're going through Acts, we're looking at this historical account. Luke is going and journeying with Paul and talking about the things that happened, what they did, how, what it looked like, what occurred because of that. So when you read on it to like automatically and say the winds were against us, Luke is dealing with a historical account. So we were leaving. The winds changed. This is why it happened. This is what it caused us to do. But what Christine Kane is doing here is reading us automatically on top. We're like, we're completely ignoring 
the fact that this is this is this is a historical account of of Paul's journey and what that looked like. And automatically we're saying, no, the winds were against us. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That right when we started doing the things that we felt like God had told us to do, the winds were against us too with the virus, right? Um, now, here's why this is a little problematic to me. I know that there are going to be people, because there always are, that say I'm being nitpicky about this. There are, and we'll talk about them at the end, there are two specific places in Scripture, uh, letters that Paul writes to the churches, actually, that deal much better with the point that she'll be making overall in this sermon that could have been looked at and actually exegetically worked through to help those in the congregation with the very thing she's attempting to do here that were actually meant to do that. They, they, they were meant to uh, build the church up. They were meant to remind the church of how good God is. Um, whether it be uh, everyday suffering, whether it be COVID, like it doesn't matter. Like that's, that's why they were written to uplift the church. Whenever we take a narrative like this and we read ourselves on top of it, like <laughs> that's incredibly troubling. And I think most people are going to miss it because what she's saying is technically right, but she is applying it to text that that has nothing to do with. So because she has a Bible open and because she's saying some familiar things that Christians have heard before, that are said in other places in the Bible, then automatically this is deemed okay. Like we can just read ourselves on top of the text. Now, I'm going to get back into it in a minute. I know I'm talking a lot. Here's the thing though. The reason this is so problematic is because now if the congregation assumes that, well, we can just do this because she's doing this. She's reading us on top of this historical account. Like where does that stop then? Like you could literally like the, 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 best example of this is when people are like, you know, David is your debt and the stone is faith and you're throwing your stone of faith at David and you're Goliath, right? That's the classic rendition of this. It's just rehashed here to where now you're Paul, you're on a boat and the winds of whatever adversity turn against you, right? I mean, it's the same formula in a different way. And it's disingenuous to the text. This is not what the text is for. It's a historical account. We can learn a ton from this when done correctly. So I'm going to let her talk for five, ten more minutes, and we'll relook and just, I just want you to listen for that. See if you can hear anything exegetically happening, or rather, are we just continually reading ourselves on top of this text over and over and over again? So we go on, and he says, And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. Okay, so, man, we started on this epic journey in the purpose of God, in the will of God, and suddenly the winds were against us. Now we're told that there was difficulty. So now we've gone from March 2020 to April 2020. I mean, it, it started off with, Regia feels like the winds are against us. Then, then it sort of got difficult. And the wind did not allow us to go farther. We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. Oh, now, now we're in May. So we, we, thought, we thought it was just winds against us. Then, then it got difficult. 
Then it got even more difficult, and we didn't even believe this. We came to a place called Fair Havens, which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed, whoa, you mean it? Okay, so I'm sorry, I didn't let her talk for 10 minutes. I just pick out what she's choosing to emphasize here to make a point that's not actually there. So just as an example, okay, if we go to verse eight, it says this, coasting along to, uh, with difficulty, we came to a place called Fairhaven near uh, a city called Lacida. I'm sorry, I actually meant to read verse seven, but uh, we'll go with verse eight because you can do it with verse eight too. Coasting along with difficulties, we came to a place called Fairhavens. She could have easily said, have you ever been sailing along this year? in March and you found it very difficult and then you came upon a place that was your fair haven have you done that this year I think we've all done this this year where we've been selling and it's just been difficult but we come across a place called fair haven amen right I mean anyone could do I mean this is this is like year one year one college student where you like you're just you're you're reading everything on top of this um <laughs> it's just it's crazy let's keep going it, it wasn't just a day of difficulty it wasn't just two days of difficulty and the voyage was now dangerous what do you mean just happened christine you mean we've now gone to june lockdown and july lockdown and it's now dangerous i mean we thought it was hard when the winds were against us in march and then in april it got even difficult more difficult and in may it got even more difficult and now we are in dangerous terrain he goes on because even the fast was already over and right here the fast of course is the day of atonement so now now we are in the september october we're getting into that season after the day of atonement and so if you've ever been in the mediterranean or the ionian or the aegean sea at this time of the year and we're often in in, in this region of the world during this time it's not a time to be out on the mediterranean sea in fact we had a rescue in this region where two girls were were literally rescued. We had to send in someone that went and took them late at night and brought them across. It was so dangerous. I mean, they were being rocked side to side. The winds were up. The waves were up. I don't want you to be thinking like a nice little summer storm. I want you to be thinking like Category 5 hurricane. I want you to be thinking that this is like intense. And so Scripture gives us that detail. This is, this is after the fast. This is after the Day of Atonement. He goes on and says, The fast was already over. Paul advised him, Sir, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Just in case you needed some encouragement today. I'm so glad that you came in. And the Bible goes on and says, On the chance that somehow they could... Uh, and because the harbour was not suitable to spend the winter in the, major the majority decided to put out to sea from there, the majority. I just want you to know that the majority is not always right. The majority doesn't always make the best call, but, but, but there's the majority here. The majority said, we're going to go out to sea on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently 
Supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. I mean, you can Google this. The Northeaster, this is where we're talking a full-on hurricane-style wind. It came in off the land. This is now so serious. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. Now we're in August and September and October and we don't know where we're going with all this. We're just driven along. That has literally no connection at all to like what what's what's happening in the actual text. Like, I I just want you to see like it's not that <clears throat> it's not that we're not at times driven along by the spirit, uh, or that there's not at, at times that there aren't adversities that then push us into. Um, hard times or that we have to fight against like all of this this is why I want you to see that this isn't necessarily like this is why this sounds okay because the things she's saying aren't necessarily wrong like yeah there's times where we're driven along there's times where we're, we're wondering what's going to happen there's times where we're like we're just like we're unsure so it sounds right. So we're like, oh, yeah, we're going along with it. I don't know if you hear it. Like, it's interesting to me, churches that mic the congregants. It's just a silly practice as far as I'm concerned. But whatever. We feel like we're there, right? But if you listen to them, they're, they're shouting and amening at totally pointless times, right? I mean, so she didn't even make, like, the most. So when she said the majority, like, you can go back and watch it if you want to. Which said the majority isn't always right. That's not even a point. She just emphasized it for some reason that for some reason but they're out there going amen uh-huh like the emotionalism isn't always bad and i want to make sure that i'm very clear when i say that right there are definitely times where where when we're reading the scriptures like we're just the holy spirit wells up within us this praise this adoration um for who god is and what he's done emotionalism though can be bad if it's like this expected that you're on 10 all the time no matter what the pastor says even if it's not even a good point right like there was a video going around i couldn't find it maybe i'll if i find it i'll put it down in the uh, description but it was a guy doing a ted talk and his whole ted talk is he's emphasizing and moving his hands and really inflecting his voice and he's looking very good and he's touching his glasses and his whole point of his ted talk is you can sound incredibly compelling if you do the right voice modifications the right body language like people will respond to that even if you're saying absolutely nothing you can appear to be saying something just by the way that you talk and there's a touch of this here there, there is definitely a touch of like she's not saying a whole lot of anything but there's a lot of response to it mainly because what she is doing is reading us onto the text and look again i this is the i think the only sermon of christine kane i've ever watched like i've heard of her before but i've i've never wa watched another sermon ever but if this is an example of what she normally does this is problematic because you are deliberately taking us plopping us down on the text and then literally reading us into the text not even where it's convenient just wherever you feel like it that like i don't i cannot fathom 
where you, you like a person can't see that that's problematic because now you're setting a precedent that says I can do that anywhere because this Paul's journey to Rome has nothing to do with me. Like we can learn a lot from it and how to apply it to our lives now. But when you're saying in, in, you know, March, April, May, oh, now it's, now it's August and October, like, please. Anyone felt driven along over the last year? You're like, man, I felt a bit of resistance. The winds were against me. Then it, it got difficult. Then it got even more difficult. Then there were times I felt so dangerous. And then I just gave up, man, relationally, financially spiritually, physically. I just felt like I've been driven along. In fact, Christine, I'm here in April 2021 and I feel like I'm just being driven along. I'm just being driven along by the the ramifications of the storm that we've been going through. And the Bible says, running under the lee of a small island of Cowder, we managed with difficulty, just in case you didn't get it yet. You're wondering why you're in April 2021 and you go, man, it still feels hard. Still feels like there's difficulty. He goes on to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing they would run aground on the cities, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. And I would say so many of us over this last season have just felt driven along. Chris, it's just been like out of control. I just feel driven along. I I don't even know what's happening. I don't even know myself anymore. Every sphere of my life has been impacted relationally and emotionally and spiritually and financially and physically. Chris, I feel like I have no control. I've just been driven along. I'll pawn you how this felt. 2,000 years ago, Dr. Luke is writing this in so much detail. This is exactly how it felt. Since we were violently storm-tossed. I'd say that defines the last year, don't you? Violently storm-tossed, side to side, nausea, throwing up. Paul wasn't exempt from any of this. Paul was on his way to his purpose. Paul was on his way to his destiny. I'm nauseous right now. So anyway, let's draw back from this a second because I said I was going to wait till the end, but I'm not going to. I'm going to do it now. There are texts that that say the same like that that better say what she's saying than than reading ourselves onto um onto a text that has nothing to do with us one of those and we'll cover the other one here in a minute but one of those is second corinthians chapter four like the whole chapter it's not very long but basically it's talking about um how god uses us as believers are we're jars of clay but he presents his glory in perishable things like us then it moves on to talking about how in us in in how we deal with persecution and affliction and how we deal with uh being struck down and how we deal with being perplexed like all of those things happen to us but they they don't affect us like they do uh other people and then he moves on to like some very powerful verses like i would just go read second Corinthians chapter four, but he goes on to verse 16 in chapter four. And he says this. So do we do not lose heart though our outward self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's just the end of the chapter. Like the whole, all of chapter four is this refocusing uh, our eyes on Jesus uh, in the midst of trouble and trials and perplexions and persecutions and afflictions. Like all the, the reason I bring that up is because we don't have to force something on the text that it doesn't say because other places in scripture, it actually says things in a much better way and address the same thing. I mean, she's talking to, she's talking to people saying, Hey, you guys are lost. You felt like you've been driven along. You don't know your purpose anymore. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing anymore. You have a lot of questions about your relationships and your businesses and your, your spiritual life and all these, like all of that's answered in chapter four of second Corinthians. Not, that's not the only place. We'll cover another place in a minute. But what I want you to see in that is that because Acts chapter 27 isn't meant, it is not written to deal with the things that she's trying to make it deal with, that it's going to come up short ultimately. That she's going to make it be able to say whatever she wants ultimately because it's never supposed to say that. So you can just wiggle it around in Pinocchio with strings it to make it dance however you want. Whereas... 2 Corinthians chapter 4 actually deals with that. It, I mean, it actually confronts all of that. And it shifts your perspective. Totally shifts it. And not in some like meaningless way where Paul just downplays affliction. In fact, he says, no, that's, that affliction is really bad. But it reminds us just how good glory is. It, it's just aggravating and sad to me that that we accept this as preaching i'm not saying she's not a good communicator she obviously is right lots of books lots of speaking engagements lots of people like her i get it like i'm not none of and again also one thing i think i should note in case anybody has any questions i'm not saying she's not a believer doesn't love jesus i'm not not questioning her heart at all i'm just saying there are certain qualifications to be a pastor a couple of which she does not meet. Um, one of those being be able to divide the word rightly, teach it to other believers. And I think from the jump on this sermon, where she starts reading us on top of scripture that is not does not mean what she's making it say, is it is. Maybe not a disqualifier, but definitely it should make you take note to where you say, hey, maybe you should step back for a minute. Maybe you should get a little bit more uh, discipleship, mentorship in this area. I'm not saying that I'm at a level, I'm not, not even saying I'm, look, this is not a, a comparison, right? This is just saying, look at this. This is not, that's not what, that's not what Acts chapter 27 is about. And it's nonsensical. To say that this is that that this is an appropriate sermon for this text, it's not. It's not. Not even close. Not even close. Like we've looked at sermons in the past where we go, that was off. That was a little off. That's a red flag. Uh, that wasn't interpreted probably entirely correctly historically. Like there's little things like that where they at least stick with the text uh, and read us into like bits and pieces of it. This is just a blanket. Just a blanket of our last year in 2020, just right over Acts chapter 27 indiscriminately <laughs> like it just just throw it over there and we're going to pick what we want to emphasize 
He felt the same nausea as everyone else. He felt the same wind as everyone else. He felt the same storm as everyone else. Some of us have thought, God, could you not have taken us out of this storm? He's like, no, 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 I'm with you in it. It's okay. I know you're feeling it. Now they're violently storm-tossed. Violently. Some of you feel exactly like that. Chris, it's been brutal this year. Chris, it's been brutal. I feel violently storm-tossed. He goes on, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. You have to understand this is a cargo ship. So now they have to throw overboard all of their economic provision. Because see, they were going to take the cargo to the next place and that's what was going to be sold and that's what would have been their means of income. Some of you have felt this past year, I've just had to jettison everything overboard. Chris, I, I thought this promotion was coming, but man, with all the pandemic, things have just changed. Chris, I started this business enterprise and I thought it was going to happen and I feel like I've just had to throw everything overboard. Some of you have been feeling that your means of provision is exactly what has been thrown overboard over this last time. And the Bible goes on and says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, for many days, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope. You think, Christine, why would all hope be gone? Because sun and moon had not appeared. It was pitch black. They couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the sun. They couldn't see the moon. This might not seem like a big deal to us because we have GPSs in 2021. But back in these days, the GPS was the sun. The GPS was the moon. The GPS was the stars. It's pitch black and they can't see and there's no direction and there's no compass. Anyone felt this year? God, where are you? Where did you go? Where did you go, God? God, I, I don't feel like there's any compass. I don't feel like there's any direction. God. Okay, so do you see, and again, I'm just going to keep rehashing this because I feel like it's important because there's going to be people that watch this and go, you know, hey, Michael, you're just being really, really nitpicky. Um, but what we're looking at here is specifically the fact that they can't see anything at night that there there's no stars there's no guidance system again historically looking at this basically a picture is being painted as they're lost they don't know what's going on they don't even know where to go so as far as being on a ship that is incredibly dangerous which is why shortly after that they they lose hope they just they don't they're done they figure this is death and there's a lot to be said in that as well if we're preaching through this passage but we take the not being able to see the sun, not being able to see the stars. And then we just jettison it out of context and go, hey, we felt like that, didn't we, last year? Where we didn't know where to go. We didn't know where to turn. Where are you, God? What happened? Again, other text, right? I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is one example. Answers that question it asks and answers that question because it was meant to <laughs> but we're not getting that sense here from this text why because this text was never meant to ask or answer that question it wasn't that's not the purpose of what's happening here 
And when you make the text say something, or you put the weight of the text, uh, weight on the text to bear a burden it was never meant to carry, two things happen. Um, one, you are you're just gonna make something up. Um, or two, you're gonna make people go like, "That's what? What? It's not there." Like I don't see what you're saying. Like I guess if you really twist it. So it's either you're gonna have to make it up to 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 force the point on a place that it's not, or you're going to inadvertently have people lose a little bit of confidence in what the Bible says, because they're gonna look at it. And they're gonna say, "I don't." I mean, like I guess, but you're really having to push for that point. Both are bad options, but because she's saying it in a very, again, emotion is not bad okay but it can be used in a way either intentionally or unintentionally to set a tone for the listener in which you're not really saying anything but because of the the crack in your voice or the crying again it could just it could be totally genuine maybe you're just I mean, you're, you're genuinely trying to put forth a point here. Now the congregation is on board with you, emotionally tied to something that's not in the text. And that's one of the things we're looking at here, right? Is the gospel preached? Is the text properly looked at and taught? There's a big old no right now. God, I'm being hit on every side. Financially and emotionally and relationally and spiritually, God, I can't even see ahead of me anymore. Anyone felt like you've lost your compass and all hope is gone? Paul despaired. He was on track with his purpose. Some of you are like, but Chris, I didn't even do anything. I, I was on track with my purpose. I, I committed to church and committed to the word. And so we're tying this back in. I want you to hear what she's saying here. This is very much like the last sermon review we did um, on, on Perry Stone, where um, it's, but I did this, God, and I did this, God, and I did this, God. Why is this happening? Because I did this. Like it's tying my good works, my doing something, then elicits a return from God. It's just nonsensical. Committed to prayer. and I haven't had some big backslide, but I can't see, feel God. Paul's like, we've given up. So many of us over this last year, it's felt like I have to give up. God, I can't even see you. Somehow I've gotten blown off track. I didn't plan for this, God. I, I didn't plan to shift. I didn't plan to drift. I didn't plan to move. God, I've tried to find my way back to you, but where are you? And Paul's in the midst of this dark moment. And scripture goes on. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, man, you should have listened to me. I love the humility of the Apostle Paul, I just have to say. This is a line no woman has ever said to her husband ever, but anyway. So man, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Some of you, you feel that. Chris, I've gotten here because it's my fault. Chris, I've messed up. I, I, I did what the Lord told me not to do. I went where the Lord told me not to go. I watched what the Lord told me not to watch. I hung out with people that the Lord told me not to hang out with. And you think you've blown it. 
and you think it's over because you brought yourself here. Others feel that somehow they got here and didn't bring themselves here. But I'm here to give you good news today. Whether you think you've brought yourself here or whether the enemy brought you here, I want you to know that God is with you right here. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is with you. He goes on and he says, yet now I urge you to take heart. I'm here today a transformation nation, because I'm here to urge you to take heart. Oh, I know it's been a challenging year. I know it's been a hard year, but take heart. He goes on, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. All right, so let's just just strap on your seatbelts here. We're going in hot to this next crazy read ourselves under the text lecture. You ready? You ready? You ready? All right. All right, here we go. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that. Paul's giving two sides of the same coin. He's saying, listen, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. We're going to get to our purpose. But, but by the way, the, the ship's got to go. The ship's got to go. Because see, there are some ships that need to run aground in our lives. There are some ships that some of us, we didn't even realize before 2020 that our trust had become in the ship rather than the one that steers the ship. And what God has said is that some ships have got to run aground for your good. Your purpose is still intact. Your destiny is still intact. I'm still going to take you where I was always going to take you, but the ship that you thought was going to get you there has got to run aground. I never promised you the ship. I promised you your purpose. Some of us, without even realizing it, if we've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Why, why don't we just read here? Here's an idea. How about we just read any historical document and do the exact same thing we're doing here? Because at this point, what's it matter, right? We're not actually looking at the text. We're just, we're just applying just whatever we want, wherever we want it. Okay. And it, it happens to be Paul and it happens to be him going to Rome and it happens to be the fact that, you know, he's going to go preach the gospel. So we're, we'll tie in some of that there. But you, 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 could, you could do the Lord of the Rings, read the Lord of the Rings, and just do the same thing she's doing here. Do you understand that this is not the way that you, you, you preach a, this text? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly harsh here. I'm just trying to uh, help you see that this text is blanketed with just reading us on top of it over and over and over again and emotionally tying us to places that the text isn't, isn't trying to do that to. And the question she is asking, do have answers in Scripture, just not here in Acts 27? So now what happens is, Two things occur. So one, we assume that we can we can do this with any text, right? So let's just go. The Old Testament is just oh, that's it's like a, a ripe fertile ground for preachers like this. They'll go back and look at any narrative and read us on top of that narrative, right? Then, if that's not the worst part of it, two, there's this idea that like if you read this and you don't see this in that text, then all of a sudden you're like a, you're you know a junior varsity Christian because you don't see that in the text because you're reading it and you're going out. Oh, I don't know where she's getting it, but she's getting it there. And woo, yeah, go Christine Kane. Tell us how awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, 
I mean, it's a whole different level. Like we've covered a lot of pastors and a lot of sermons up to this point on this channel, looking at sermon reviews, but it's never been this blatant. Like we've had, like, it's been bad. <laughs> uh, and then we've had some really good ones too. Unfortunately, those are harder to remember and people don't watch them as much because they don't find them as interesting, unfortunately. Cause there's, I'm telling you, you go back, there are some pastors we've covered that have done fantastic jobs on text. Um, This, this is just problematic all over the place. We're, we're, we're not even, like we're, we have so much more to cover that it's painful to even go forward at this point. Because we know it's going to, it's just going to be rinse and repeat the whole rest of this chapter. All right, guys, let's, let's, let's go. Here we go. We trusted the ship more than the Savior. And some of us have been thrown overboard from the ship to remember that it always was Jesus. Always will be Jesus. I, I didn't get here because I built some organization. I didn't get here because we've got a structure. The same Jesus that was with that unnamed, unwanted kid in the hospital is the same Jesus that's with me. The same Jesus that brought me here is the same Jesus that will take me there. A system doesn't bring you here. A structure doesn't bring you here. A person doesn't bring you here. Jesus is the one that takes us to our destiny. Jesus is the one that we are running towards. We fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith. And some of us have been reminded this last year that it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It says, but the ship must run aground. Some of you had some. So I do want to stop here real quick. And just so you know, I don't think we're going to get through all this. this sermon. I'm not going to make you sit here forever and go through the rest of the sermon. We'll get a little bit further and then we'll wrap it up. Um, again, if you want the full context, you can check down in the description below, but it's going to be pointless to go through this whole thing. Um, but I want you to note here, she did mention Jesus. There is no none in this sermon about sin and repentance and fault. Like it's assumed that if you're hearing this, then you know Jesus. It's assumed that. So now with that assumption already there, there's no call to repentance. There's no call to come to Jesus. It's the assumption that Jesus is the one that brought you here. He's the one that author and finisher of your faith. He's the, like all of the like keywords are there. Assuming that you already know who Jesus is. That you've already repented, you've already believed, you've already confessed, you've already sought, you know, you're in the process of sanctification. Like none of that is said. Like it seems to be assumed. And again, if she was approaching this in a way that says that um, church is for the believers to edify and to build up and um, to 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 um, to also convict and to do those sorts of things, and then to send the believers out into the world to uh, to disciple and to preach the gospel, then good and fine. Um, but she's made it well aware, we may get to it or not, that like this is going out to millions of people. So to blanket assume that millions of people um, know who Jesus is, that have um, recognized their sin, have repented. I mean, just at the, at, at the time that I have this pulled up, there are 53,000 people that have seen this sermon. To assume that all of those people know who Jesus is is a bit crazy to me. Anyway, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Ships that had to run aground. The Bible goes on. <laughs> and he says, For this very night there stood before me 
an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I want you to know when Paul's saying this, he's not saying this when the storm is over. He's not saying this when he's no longer feeling nauseous. He's not saying this when when he's no longer throwing up overboard. No, no, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of it, he's saying, oh, let's just have a praise break right now. Let me just tell you about this God that I worship. Let me just tell you about this God that I serve. See, I wonder when we go to our offices and we go to our jobs and we're around all of our other friends, do they know that there's even a God that we serve in the midst of a pandemic? A God that we serve in the midst of a storm. See, some of us, we wait till after the storm to begin to give praise to God and declare our faithfulness and fidelity and our commitment to God. But he's saying, while you're throwing up overboard, metaphorically speaking, could you still talk about the God that you serve? Could you still talk about the God that you serve? And see, some of us, we need this confidence that Paul had in the midst of the storm to say, let let me tell you about this God that I worship. See, our world, our world's out of control. Church, our world is out of control. Our world is cray-cray. It's lost its mind. And one of the greatest witnesses that we can be as the church of Jesus Christ in this hour is, is to hold our peace and Continue to praise our God and worship our King. And go, look, I don't understand what's going on either, man. I'm throwing up just like you are. I'm feeling the violent storm toss. But, but, but in the midst of it all, can I just talk to you about this God that I serve? About this God. So it's crazy to me that what she's saying lines up, I mean, very well with 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because she's talking about we hold our peace, right? In, in the midst of the storm that other people see it. Uh, a huge part of the beginning of chapter four is about us, how we carry that weight of adversity, how we carry that weight of perplexion, how we carry that weight of persecution, like how we carry it demonstrates who we serve. It demonstrates who we have our faith in. Like, like I said, like what she's saying isn't going to set off any alarm bells with anybody because it, what she's saying is said elsewhere in scripture. But it's not said here. So the dilemma comes up, I suppose, for those that watch the sermon. Do they go, well, you know, it's a wash then. Because technically she's saying things that are from the Bible, even if she's referencing them in the wrong place. And you have to then determine, is that is that a good way to preach? Or is that a, is that a poor way to preach? Is that... I don't want to say it's manipulative, but it's not. it's obviously not helpful in my perspective. Because why don't you just go to that text then? Another text just to reference here real quick is Romans chapter eight verse uh, starting at verse 16. So it says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of, as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For it is in this hope we are saved now Hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for the things that he sees. But if we hope for the things that we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And it goes on to say a whole lot more. It's super powerful stuff. The idea here, though, is that Paul's referring to this future glory. So we don't 
the things we're going through, when we have the perspective of Jesus, pale in comparison to what we know he has promised for us, right? The Bible, and this is, again, this is the Bible, there, there's places where it says this all throughout. This is just two examples from Paul's epistles, one in Romans, one to, Second Corinthians, in, in, to the Corinthians. But there's this witness in the scriptures of that when suffering and pain occur, it doesn't like, like diminish that. It just says the harder that is, the more we're reminded of how good God is. Like the harder that pressure is, we then carry it with the perspective of, of God being good. And we understand that there's like, if we, the heaviness of that pain is nothing compared to the weight of the glory that's coming of how good he is and the realization of that. There are better texts to go to to preach deep biblical truths on these hard questions that she's dealing with. And I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why she's forcing this onto a text that was never meant to say this. We're going to give this about, um, we're going to give it uh, about 10 more minutes or so. We'll go through, we're going to look at it, and then we'll wrap this up uh, and kind of give some ending thoughts on it. So let's go. God that I worship. Can I just talk to you about this faithful God? But he's declaring this faithful God, and he goes on. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. He didn't say, do not be nauseous or seasick. Because most of what we're feeling over the last year is actually not sickness, it's fear. It's fear. It's fear that's taking more people out than anything else. It's fear that the enemy has unleashed across the earth. Now, it's manifested itself in so many different spheres, but it's fear. So he says, Paul, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. You must. I want you to get that, Paul. You, you must. Because see, that's your purpose. That's your destiny. That's the prophetic word of your life. You must. Let me just tell you, when the pandemic all started last year, first thing I did, I went and got all of my prayer journals and prophecy journals from 1989 when I first came to the Lord. And I had 20, well, that's how old I am. Most of you weren't even born then, but that's okay. There, there was a, a, a millennium called the last one. And so 1989. So I had 30 years of prophetic words and journals. And I had a, at the time, my daughter was 18 and 14. I said, girls, sit down. This is okay. Because I, I want to show you something, girls. I, I, I want to show you. I, I don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy tanking. I don't know what's going to happen with life and the ministry. But, but I need you to see this. I, I need you to see what the Lord spoke to me in 1989. And I need you to see the prophetic words that were spoken over my life in 1994. And I need you to see the prophetic words in 2010. And I, and I want you to know this, girl. I, I don't know what's going on ahead of me, but, but I've got a promise. I might not be able to see, but I've got a promise. So in the midst of the storm what I hang on to is the word of God in the midst of the storm I hang on to the promise of God and I say girls the same God that prophesied this over me in 1989 and 1990 and 1991 and 92 and 93 and 94 that same God 
is with us now. And I, I want you to know, girls, there's certain prophetic words that haven't come to pass yet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, no, 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 your mother must. Wow. And once you've got your must from God, yeah. I'll... I don't care what's coming in over the news. I don't care what's going on in the world around. I, I can see it, but it doesn't move me. Oh, I can feel it. And I feel nauseous like everyone else. I might even be throwing overboard like everybody else, but I must stand before Caesar. Must. I don't know what your must is. Some of you have forgotten your must. Some of you have forgotten the word that God has spoken over your life. Some of you have forgotten the promise of God over your marriage, the promise of God over your children, the promise of God over your future, the promise of God over your finances, the promise of God over your health. And I'm here to declare and decree to you today, you must. So what she's doing, I mean, I wanted to let her finish there. But if you're looking right at the text, this is Jesus coming to Paul. And telling Paul, in what seems to be a very audible way, what Paul's going to do. And this is this is what Paul is telling the, the rest of the crew. Like, this is what happened to me. Um, this, is, this is what occurred. She's taking that text here and then applying it to us, seeming, seeming to say that God has verbally spoken something to her about something she has to do. Um, or at the very least, had someone else speak that over her. And then she's taking that as a like direct promise. I mean, again, depending on what denomination you're part of, depending on, you may be totally cool with that. But then she applies this to literally everything, your finances, your marriage, your kids. She's taking words that we find in chapter 27, verse 24. And he says, uh, well, 23, for that very night stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted uh, you all of those who shall or who sell with you. She's taking that verse directly spoken to Paul, which is pointing back to chapter 25, verses 9 and 11, in which the Lord told Paul to go to Rome. And she's saying that also applies to you. I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> like, it doesn't apply to you. These are words directly spoken to Paul, in correlation what was to already what was already spoken to him by the Lord, because the Lord says, "I'm going to do what I told you I was going to do," so you're going to go there. We can believe that, hundred percent, full confidence in that. But when you take that and say, "The Lord has," like. Has the Lord spoken to you like he spoke to Paul that you will go to Rome? I mean, that's a question you have to ask yourself, right? Let's keep going. If God said it, no pandemic can stop it. If God said it, no pandemic can stop it. He says, Paul, oh, oh I know you're being violently storm-tossed. But you must. 
Transformation Nation, there's still a lot of must over your life. Still a lot of prophetic words that have got to come to pass. You must. And the greatest thing the church can do in this hour is hang on to the word of God. Hang on to the promise of God. Hang on to the purpose of God. God says, you, you must. So he goes, you, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. I've declared that to everyone in my orbit. Okay, man, stay close during this time because, because you're, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. This, this favor, this blessing. Oh, no, no. Stay in this orbit. Oh, we're going to feel the storm, but you're coming with me. You're coming with me and we're going to get through to the other side because it's really got nothing to do with me. The same God that brought me here is the same God that's going to take me there. That's okay. He can still do this in this hour. So it goes on and he says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as it has been told. And I'm here to tell you that today. There's so much I don't know about what's going on in our world, but I will tell you this, Transformation Nation, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as we have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Whoa. What do you do when you're in the will of God? You're in the purpose of God. You're being faithful to God. And God says, I'm going to get you to where I'm taking you. But there's a detour that you weren't planning for. We must run aground. Can we trust God to interrupt our plan with his purpose? Can we trust God even when we can't trace him in the middle of a storm? Some of us right now, God, I can't trace you. He says, I'm not asking you to trace me. Can you trust me? Can you trust me? And even if it doesn't make sense in the natural, some of us must run aground. So when the 14th night had come and as we were driven, being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. Now they're freaking out. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Sticking with the theme of anchor, just in case you're wondering right now. <clears throat> I hope you're remembering our word for the year as we go. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship <laughs> and lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. I want to give someone a word right now. Some of you, you have been so violently storm-tossed. You have been, and all you've wanted to do is jump ship, man. I'm going to jump ship on this marriage. I'm going to jump ship on this church. I'm going to jump ship on this relationship. And I'm here to tell you, stay on the ship. It might not seem like it makes sense in the natural. The ship's about to run aground here. But Paul says the only way you're going to get saved is stay on the ship. You ch All right, so let's wrap this up. Um because it's just the same thing we're doing over and over again at this point. So a couple of things I want to note here as we wrap this up. Um, one, you, you have to look. So when you're doing personal Bible study or when you're listening to a pastor preach a message, you have to look at the particular genre that this text is coming from. Is it, is it poetic? Is it wisdom literature? Is it narrative? Is it an epistle that's being written, right? Is it apocalyptic? Like, what kind of literature is it? Because that is going to determine how 
you read it. It's going to determine how you look at the context, the wording, the, the illusions being made, the, like it, all of it, all of it. So when you read a historical account, in narrative, like in a narrative historical account, and then you lay something on top of it, it's not supposed to be there, you're, you're doing it incorrectly. Okay? No matter how passionately say it, no matter how, no, how you emphasize certain words, like you're not doing it right. I don't know a single person that is that I, I don't <laughs> I, I don't know anybody else that does it this way. I, I literally I mean like we've covered a lot of pastors on this channel so far, and no one has done it just as blatantly obvious as this where she just, just puts a blanket of eisegetical reading us into the text right on top of the text, and the text isn't even saying what she's saying it's saying. Two, oftentimes preaching like this will be overlooked because it sounds right. Like she's saying the right words. She's repeating the things that we're like really familiar with, like, like trust in God, you've been driven along. You know, put your hope in him. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Like she's saying all the right stuff. So oftentimes people will go, well, maybe I just didn't see that in that, that particular scripture before. Maybe she's seen something I don't see there. When, as I've already pointed out with Romans chapter eight, with second Corinthians chapter four, there are texts that answer, well, they, they ask and answer the questions that she's asking here in a deliberate way and actually answer the questions far better than she does during this sermon. I mean, if you don't believe me, link in the description, watch the whole thing. Currently, we're uh, 40 minutes, 31 seconds. So you can start there and just keep going if you like. But it, she, doesn't, she doesn't answer her own questions as well as... Um, as those, those two just in particular, there's others, but those two in particular, she goes all the way through, all the way through chapter 27, alluding time and time again to the things happening in this historical account are the things that we are currently going through as well. And just tying us inextricably, unapologetically to what's happening here. So one, it's problematic that she just eisegetically reads everything into this text. Two, it's problematic because there are other texts that say this that she could have preached from. And three, I, the, the biggest red flag here is, and again, I don't know if this is a trait of hers or not. Um, this is the only sermon I've seen of her. Here, I'm going to, hold on. Tuned in today and the word of the Lord for you is don't jump ship. Okay, well, I was trying to get her face off there, like as like dramatic as that, but I guess we're just going to live with it. Um, so, and then the third thing is just emphasizing things that the text doesn't say. You're putting words into the mouth of, of Luke here. He's not saying any of these things, and that's problematic. Now, again, I'd like to clarify as we end the sermon review. I'm not saying that Christine Kane's not a Christian. I'm not saying Christine Kane doesn't love Jesus. I'm not saying... Either I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that the qualifications we see laid out in Scripture for someone that is a preacher and a teacher, she is disqualified from doing that based simply on this sermon. Like, and people take offense to that, but let me just like let's just back that up a second. There's a reason we have qualifications in Scripture for preachers and teachers. Okay, there's there's a reason. 
that there are lists of what elders should look like in the church. There's a reason the scripture says not, not many of you should, should want to acquire this. Why? Because you're going to be judged more harshly. Why? Because if you preach and teach incorrectly, the people you're teaching and preaching to then pick that up and they think that that's okay. So when we read ourselves onto a passage that one isn't designed to carry that weight and two isn't about us at all, they then assume that you can do that. They can do that too. They can do that. And then they'll start doing that. So overall, based simply on this, no, I don't think that you should watch Christine Kane's sermons. Or I don't think you, if you see a pastor doing this, I would... I would ask them why they're doing this. I would listen to a couple more sermons of them to see if this is how they always do this. And then if they don't have a good reason, um, which I don't, I don't see how this, there would ever be a good reason for this. I would run for the hills because this is not a proper treatment of scripture. In my humble opinion, I'll put an asterisk there, right? My humble opinion, this is not, not even close. So hopefully this, I know I was a bit more aggravated during the sermon review than most, but it's just blatant and obvious and not like, it's just in your face craziness on this uh, preaching this way. So hopefully this video was helpful to you. Hopefully you learned something here. Um, if you have any comments, if you think maybe I was a little too harsh, or maybe you do know other preachers that are, um, that, that do this comment in the comment section below. If you found this helpful, make sure you like it, share it follow, subscribe, all that stuff helps get the videos out to more people. Guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing. I'll talk to you later.